2: In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Tonight
3: on 60 Minutes Presents, Revisiting the Past.
4: I grew up a very, very mean woman because of all what happened to me.
0: You learned that here, you think? Yeah. She is not the only one. More than 150,000 children were sent to residential schools, which Canada's first prime minister supported to, in his words, sever children from the tribe and civilize
5: them. My name was number 65 for all those years. Just a number? Just a number, yeah. 65, pick that up, stupid, or 65, why did you do that, idiot?
6: Hey, we're going to gather in uh, the oh, no.
3: here, mainly. The Millers are a large family that enjoy getting together. They purchased this historic house in southern Virginia, near where they grew up, to have a place for family celebrations.
7: This is an original room from
3: the 1800s. But no one could have imagined how the history of the home and its grounds would change everything they thought they knew about their family's history. It's like a full circle, like it was meant to
8: happen.
9: Mm-hmm.
3: To me, it was like it was meant to
8: happen. This is God. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is where we're supposed to be.
10: <sighs> That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Yeah. Ah.
9: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. Good evening. I'm Leslie Stahl.
3: Welcome to 60 Minutes Presents. Tonight, Revisiting the Past, we'll look at stories from history that carry lessons for the present. We begin with our story of Canada's unmarked graves. In May 2021, when archaeologists detected what they believed to be 200 unmarked graves at an old school in Canada, it brought new attention to one of the most shameful chapters of that nation's history. Starting in the 1880s and much of the 20th century, more than 150,000 children from hundreds of Indigenous communities across Canada were forcibly taken from their parents by the government and sent to what were called residential schools. Funded by the state and run by churches, they were designed to assimilate and Christianize Indigenous children by ripping them from their parents, their culture, and their community. The children were often referred to as savages and forbidden from speaking their languages or practicing their traditions. As Anderson Cooper first reported last year, many were physically and sexually abused, and thousands of children never made it home.
0: The last of Canada's 139 residential schools for Indigenous children closed in 1998. Most have been torn down. But the Muskaugan Residential School in Saskatchewan still stands. Its windows boarded up, its rooms gutted. A reminder to a nation that would rather forget, a three-story tombstone for generations of children who died here.
4: Sometimes I wish it would be gone for all what happened here.
0: You wish this had been torn down?
4: Yeah. I could hear everything in here, what was done. It lingers.
0: Leona Wolf, who comes from the Muscaugan Reserve, was five years old, and she says she was taken from her home in 1960. School officials and police would often show up unannounced in indigenous communities and round up children, some as young as three. Parents could be jailed if they refused to hand their children over. When kids arrived at their schools, their traditional long hair was shaved off. If they tried to speak their language, they were often punished.
4: They put me in a dark room like that, and they'd shut the door, and then they'd take off the light. All I had to look through was this much light, like I was in
0: jail. She says the abuse many kids at Muscaugan suffered from the Catholic priests and nuns wasn't just physical.
4: Father Joel was fondling the girls here.
0: A a priest, Father Joel, was fondling girls. Yeah,
4: this used to be sick bay. They used to have a bed here.
0: And he would take girls in to the bed? Yeah. My cousin. He took your cousin in here. How old was she?
4: She was only eight. I grew up a very, very mean woman because of all what happened to me.
0: You learned that here, you think? Yeah. She is not the only one. More than 150,000 children were sent to residential schools, which Canada's first prime minister supported to, in his words, sever children from the tribe and civilize them. For much of the 20th century, the Canadian government supported that mission. This report aired in 1955. They learned not only games and traditions, such as the celebration of St. Valentine's Day, but the mastery of words. The idea for the schools came in part from the United States. In 1879, the Carlisle Indian Industrial School opened in Pennsylvania, where this photo was taken of Native American children when they first arrived. This is them four months later. The school's motto was Kill the Indian, Save the Man.
5: Consequently, ours was Kill the Indian in the Child.
0: Kill the Indian in the Child. Mm-hmm. That was the guiding principle here in canada yeah. chief wilton littlechild whose cree was six years old when he was taken to this residential school in alberta then he says he was given a new name
5: my name was number 65 for all those years just a number just the number yeah 65 pick that up stupid or 65 why did you do that idiot
0: what does that feel like at six years old to be called a number
5: well i think that's where the trauma begins not just the physical abuse, psychological abuse, spiritual abuse, and worst of all, sexual abuse.
0: You were sexually abused?
5: Yes. I think that's where my uh, anger uh, began as a young boy.
0: Chief Little Child says he was able to take some of that anger out on the school's hockey rink. He won a scholarship to university and graduated eventually going on to a distinguished career in law. But his story is the exception.
5: They didn't kill my spirit. So I'm still Cree. I'm still who I am. I'm not 65. My name is Maikant Motil. So they didn't kill my spirit.
0: In 2008, after thousands of school survivors filed lawsuits, the Canadian government formally apologized for its policies. It also set up a $1.9 billion compensation fund and established a Truth and Reconciliation Commission that Chief Littlechild helped lead. For six years, the commission heard testimony from survivors across the country.
3: And you put me underwater, slapping me and hitting me, slapping me and hitting me and punching me and punching me and holding me underwater, pulling my hair.
11: And I thought, God, she's going to kill me. I'm going to die. First
4: day of school.
5: We, as little boys and little girls, we lost our innocence. In
0: 2015, the commission concluded what happened was cultural genocide. It identified more than 3,000 children who died from disease due to overcrowding, malnutrition, and poor sanitation, or died after being abused or trying to run away. A government study in 1909 found the death rate in some schools was as high as 20 times the national average. Most schools had their own cemeteries, and sometimes when children died, their parents were never informed.
5: It's really traumatic for those families who don't know what happened to their child or relative in the schools.
0: Why weren't kids who died at the schools, why weren't they sent home?
5: To save money.
0: Archaeologists detected what they said could be 200 unmarked graves at this former school in Kamloops, British Columbia, in May 2021. Weeks later, a further 751 unmarked graves were detected across from the former Marivelle Residential School on the Cowess's Reserve in Saskatchewan. There was once a Catholic cemetery here, but the headstones were bulldozed in the 1960s by a priest after a dispute with a former chief. And what were these lists for?
2: So it will tell A
0: small team of researchers has been trying to discover the names of those children buried here, but for decades the government and the church have been reluctant to share their records. Chief Cadmus DeLorme is trying to get answers. Do you know that they're all children? We can't verify how much are children
4: but based on the research we're doing a lot of them were children
12: that were forced to go to the Maryville residential school and died in the Maryville residential school
0: the discoveries of the graves open deep wounds more than a dozen churches have been vandalized or destroyed and thousands have marched demanding the pope apologize and the churches open archives to help identify any missing children. Indigenous communities across the country have begun conducting their own searches using ground-penetrating radar.
11: We've laid out a number of grids throughout this landscape.
0: And Archaeologists Keisha Supernant and Terry Clark say 35 unmarked graves have been discovered at the Muskaugan School. There's something going on there that's not natural. When we were there in October 2021, they found what appeared to be another According to survivor accounts, children sometimes had to dig their classmates' graves. The priests or the school officials would force the kids to dig other children's graves.
11: Yep. Can you imagine being like 10 or 11 and digging a grave for your classmate? What that must have been like?
0: Keisha Supernant says the search for unmarked graves will continue for years.
11: This is very emotional work. It's very devastating work. It's heartbreaking for everyone who's involved. You feel that too? I do. Our communities still feel the impacts of these institutions in our everyday lives. We're way overrepresented in in child welfare and adoptions and, and foster care. We're way overrepresented in the prisons. You can draw a direct line with that to these places and the pain of that that has been passed on from generation to generation.
5: I started school here in
0: 1958. Ed Bitternows, whose Cree understands that pain. He was eight years old when he was taken to the Muscaugan school. His parents lived within sight of the school, and when he tried to run away, he says the priests forced him to kneel on a broom handle for three days.
5: That's where my house was. I would sit here and wonder why I, I couldn't be home.
0: That must have been devastating. Yeah. It wasn't only adults he feared. Some students themselves, victims of abuse, preyed on other children. Were you abused here?
5: Ah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, in this room here, uh, by one of the one of the one of the boys.
0: In this very room. This,
5: this very area here.
0: Later, he says he was also sexually molested by a nun. When he left school, he was rudderless and violent and turned to alcohol. When he got married, he says, he didn't know how to show affection.
5: You didn't know what love was? No, no. I never felt it here. I didn't start saying I loved her until we were married about 40 years, and then I was very careful how I said it.
0: You didn't say to your wife for 40 years that you loved her?
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He says his life changed when he began rediscovering his Cree culture. Raising buffalo and sharing traditional knowledge with children brought healing and finally an understanding of the word love. You can say that now.
5: I can say that now. And it feels good. And I still joke with my wife about that. Don't say that too loud.
0: So you can say it, you just don't want to say it too loud.
5: Yes, uh uh-huh,
0: Okay, Uh you know what,
5: it's better than nothing. Yes, that's what she (laughs) says.
0: (laughs) As for Leona Wolf, her life and the lives of her children and grandchildren have been plagued by violence and substance abuse. Intergenerational trauma, she says, that began the day her own mother was sent to school at Muscaugan. Did you see the impact of this place on your mom? Yeah. How? by
4: drinking a lot, being mean to me, and it impacted us, me and my brother and
0: my siblings. What had, was done to her, she passed on to, to you. To me. And yeah. what was done to you and others here?
4: Was passed on to my children. This is why sometimes I go into my rage of anger, and I cry <laughs> because it, all, it was all done to us, all of us. <laughs> But it's going to stop now. You know, it is. You believe that? I am going to... I'm breaking the cycle with my great-grandchildren. Hail Mary, full of
0: grace. Delight. Leona Wolf has returned to her traditions as well. Walking the halls of Muskaucan, she began to sing Hail Mary, a prayer she was forced to learn here long ago. Now she sings it her own way. Hey hey yo. That's not how you sang it here when you were in school though, was it? No. Nope. You made peace with the Virgin Mary.
3: Yes, yeah, I made that
0: song.
4: Peace with myself.
3: Since our story first aired, Pope Francis traveled to Canada for what he called a penitential pilgrimage. He apologized and begged for forgiveness for the deplorable abuses Indigenous people suffered in residential schools.
9: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So, don't settle. Find Love at First Drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
6: Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
10: Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So, sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you.
6: I could stay here forever.
10: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit carvana.com today.
3: Just off the side of the road sat a grand white house called Sharswood, silently holding secrets from the past, waiting for a new owner to uncover them. Sounds like the opening line of a Southern Gothic novel. But as we first reported in May of last year... This story is about a real family and a real house, this country's history, and a man who found himself at the center of far more than he had bargained for. The man is Fred Miller, a 57 year old Air Force veteran who was looking to buy property in his Virginia hometown for his large extended family's frequent get togethers. He had never heard the name Sharswood, and yet this old house would lead him on a journey of discovery with surprises and revelations that seem both impossible and inevitable all at once. These are the gentle hills of Pittsylvania County, Virginia, quiet rural farm country near the North Carolina border that once produced more tobacco than any county in the state.
6: Hey, we're gonna gather in uh, this room here mainly.
3: Fred Miller grew up here in a close family that likes getting together regularly for birthdays, fish fries, and as his cousin Adam Miller told us, just about anything.
0: We play games and we do like a
12: lot of food competitions.
3: I hear the food is mainly cake. (laughs) Yes. Too many cakes. 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 (laughs) Fred's cousin, Tanya Miller Pope, and his sister, Deborah Coles, told us it's a big family. Fred's mother, Betty, and his aunt, Brenda, were two of 11. How many cousins? Oh, my oh, God. God. Oh, my oh, God. My. Oh, oh, a hundred. A hundred. A hundred. At least a hundred. <laughs> so no wonder Fred needed to find yes. a <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Yes. huge place. Exactly. Fred lives in California, where he works as a civil engineer for the Air Force. But he visits the family in Virginia often.
6: One day, out of the blue, my sister called me and told me about a big house up the road for sale.
3: This sister right yeah. here? <laughs> Yeah. Karen Dixon-Rexroth, Fred's baby sister, had spotted it.
7: Me and my mom was riding past the house and I saw the for sale sign. I said, oh my goodness, we have to get this house. I called Fred, Fred, this house is for sale. He's like, what house? I said, you know the house, the, the scary house, I
3: call it. <laughs> the scary house was less than a mile up the road from their mom's. They'd passed it every day as kids on their way to school. What did you know about Sharswood? Absolutely nothing.
8: Nothing, nothing, no.
12: Nothing. no. Just no. knew it. it was a house, a house. A big
8: house. He was debating, should
7: we put in a bid for it? I said, yes, absolutely, let's do it. Did she twist your arm?
6: Took all the twisting she could do I, I, I didn't want to buy it.
3: But thinking his bid would be rejected anyway, he made an offer of just above the $220,000 asking price. Why did you think they weren't going to accept the offer?
6: Well, I mean, I'm not, I, initially to me, I thought that because I was black, that they would never, surely they would never sell this house to someone that's black. So for us to be able to own this thing, I thought it would never happen yeah, in a million mm-hmm. years.
3: So guess so. what happened? A million years. A million years. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely.
6: We used to always see this house out here.
3: So in May of 2020, Fred Miller purchased the fully furnished house, plus 10 and a half acres of land, from a family called the Thompsons, who had owned it since 1917.
6: The first time I drove up to the place, all I could do was stop at the edge of the road there and just look up in amazement, like, wow, this this is mine.
7: This is an original room
3: from the 1800s. Karen says she got obsessed with the house spending nights and weekends online researching yeah, its secrets. Yeah. A hiding
7: spot, they say, was from the Civil War, so they would hide the valuables.
3: A secret hiding. Yes, yeah, a secret hiding spot. She discovered the house had been built around 1850 in the Gothic Revival style by a well-known New York architect, and she learned and told her family that its name had been Sharswood.
6: Every day she was calling me with new information. I'm like, my goodness, okay, relax.
3: (laughs) Are you exaggerating? (laughs)
6: exaggerating.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But then Karen turned up something that stunned her. In the 1800s, Sharswood had been the seat of a major 1,300 acre plantation, one of the larger ones in the county. What did you think of you owning a plantation?
6: I was a little bit a little shocked by that, I would say, because I just wanted somewhere to have family gatherings.
7: When I found out that it was a plantation, and then I'm like, okay, Fred just bought a plantation. Right. I was
6: like, we, we own a plantation. plantation. we yes, own <laughs> <We laughs> a plantation. Yeah, what are
7: we going to do up there? So It was just um, a feeling of just um, power. It was just a powerful feeling. It is.
3: Powerful, but of course, plantation implies slavery. And before the Civil War, Pennsylvania County held more than 14,000 enslaved people, the state of Virginia just under 500,000. I said, do you realize what
12: this is? They didn't have a clue.
3: Dexter Miller, one of Fred and Karen's many second cousins, knew something about Charleswood because years ago, he'd been co-workers with Bill Thompson, whose family then owned it. Bill joined us for a conversation on what used to be his childhood porch. You grew up in this house? I did. This was my home. He inherited much of the farmland and still lives up the road. His sister inherited the house and sold it to Fred. You know, when Fred was buying the house, he did not think that the house would be sold to a black person.
6: Why would you think that for you? Probably um, because, you know, it's, we are in rural Virginia, right? Well, this is true. <laughs> <laughs>
3: for years, Dexter and another second cousin, Sonia Womack Miranda, had been trying to piece together the Miller family's origins, a notoriously difficult task for African Americans because records are hard to come by, especially before 1865. It really was a hobby.
12: It was addictive. It it was addicted. It really was.
3: Private eyes. Yes. And the land records. They'd been able to trace the whole Miller clan back to one woman.
8: It's Dexter's great grandmother. It's my great great grandmother, Sarah.
3: Sarah Miller. Mm -hmm. Yes. They had found a picture of Sarah Miller.
12: This is Sarah
8: right here. This is.
3: And they'd gotten hold of her death certificate, which showed that she'd been born in Pittsylvania County in 1868 just three years after the end of the Civil War. And they found an even better resource, one of their oldest living relatives, a beloved former schoolteacher named Marion Keys. Miss Keys, as everyone here calls her, recently turned 90. Sarah Miller is the matriarch of the family. Yes, she, yes, she was. Did you
8: know her? Yes, I did. Well, tell us about her. She would always be out there with a
3: broom in her hand, and then she would be waiting for us. Marion Keys remembers her great-grandmother, Sarah, as a force to be reckoned with. What she wanted
8: you to know, you were going to know it. Was she, she persnickety, was... as they yes, say? Was yes, she yes, Difficult? Yes. Stern? Very, very. She didn't, she didn't
3: play. She didn't play, but we loved her. But that's where Miss Keys' knowledge of Miller family history ended. She didn't know anything about the generations before emancipation. When you were growing up, what did you learn or hear from your parents about slavery?
8: Nothing. Nothing? Nothing. They did not talk about it. I don't know whether they were afraid, whether it was too miserable or painful, or they wanted to forget it. I don't know. But they did not talk to us about it at all. And we didn't ask them questions
3: about it. Why not? we afraid to. <laughs> we heard that again and, and again from members that. of the Miller family.
12: Slavery wasn't mentioned at all.
3: Was there almost a code? We don't talk about slavery, so nobody did.
12: It was something uh, that every black person knew you didn't talk about. The parents would tell you not to discuss grown people business. That's what they'll tell
6: you. The first time slavery was discussed was, uh, I guess, in the 70s when Roots came, the movie Roots came about.
3: That's the first time mm-hmm. when Roots was on television? Mm-hmm. Did you read about it in school? M- not much. Yeah. His family also remembers Roots as pivotal.
8: Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that, yes. that's, that all, that's weird. Weird. I when we I all felt like no, all that. was an eye-opener.
3: But even after Roots, you didn't go and say, what about our family? No. no. Even not that, at all. what held you back?
0: I
6: just uh, didn't think they wanted to talk about it. But didn't
3: beginning. you want to know?
6: I would love to have known. I would love
3: to have known. Fred's purchase of Sharswood was about to give him a crash course in his hometown's slavery roots. It started with a call from two archaeologists who wanted to come do research. We're historic preservationists, and so you know we start from the idea that these places matter. Dennis Pogue once worked at Mount Vernon Doug Sanford at Monticello. They asked if they could come explore Sharswood, but they weren't interested in the ornate house designed by that famous architect. What they cared about was the dilapidated building with the tin roof past the big oak tree behind it. They suspected it had once been slave quarters.
1: There were once hundreds of thousands of these buildings. These were one of the most common types of architecture in Virginia.
3: Let me give you the running dimensions. But now these buildings are rare, with fewer than 1,500 believed to be still standing. And Pogue and Sanford started a project to search for them. So one, two, three, four. Fred and Karen invited them to come investigate. They examined, uh, measured and searched for clues
5: you can see the siding is
3: they showed us some of what they
5: found these are the kind of nails that we expect to see on buildings before 1800 handmade wrought nails handmade you can actually see the hammer
3: strokes on the head is this the original siding these are remnants of the original siding
5: absolutely okay
3: they worked from noon to dusk and finally gave karen and fred their conclusion so this it's got a complex history but we think part of that yeah. history a big part of that history was it was a quarter for enslaved folks
1: and then create the
3: they say it's doors, one of the best uh, preserved they've seen the they believe it was originally built in the, in the late 1700s, 1700s as a house for thongle a thongle white family
1: board. that's where the original door was
3: and was and later the divided the into two separate single room slave dwellings two families
1: yeah
12: one household here another enslaved household over there.
6: It just showed that it was two different worlds. Mm-hmm. This front big, beautiful world here and lavish, and you go right behind the house and it was a whole different story. It's kind of crazy for me, just to even walk around out there.
3: Do you own that? Do you own the slave house too?
6: I own the slave house, I do. It's mine.
3: Wow. <laughs> Fred Miller's purchase continues to surprise his family and intrigue historians. When Fred Miller unwittingly purchased what he now knows to be the Sharswood Plantation House with slave quarters just behind it, he knew virtually nothing about his own family history. He'd always assumed his ancestors had been enslaved, but it felt to him like an unknowable part of a distant past. Learning about his great-grandmother, Sarah Miller, whom his mother had known as a child, piqued his interest. So when he found out her house was still standing, just a few miles away from Sharswood, he asked his mother, Betty Dixon, to go there with him.
6: All right, we're going to walk down through here.
3: Betty's grandmother, Sarah, had been the first of their ancestors to be born into freedom shortly after the Civil War
8: my solar cabinet had no light no
3: electricity Betty remembers visiting and spending the night here with her grandmother and cousins
6: whoa what is the one room
3: Sarah's house didn't look much bigger than the slave dwelling just a single room with a smaller one above it and no indoor plumbing come a long ways huh sure did
6: Glad I didn't have to live in here well, had to make it work. You want a piece of this wallpaper to take with you? Yeah. I well, hope the landlord don't say nothing.
3: Oh, <laughs> Lord, there you go. Sarah Miller is buried in the cemetery of the church the Miller family still attends.
6: I'm glad I, now I can actually come in and see this. Yeah.
3: But unbeknownst to this Miller family, just five miles up the road in a different church cemetery was a tombstone that also read Miller, a far older one with names Fred and his family had never heard of, but were about to. In Karen's search for information about Sharswood, she found a document that mentioned them. It
7: gave the names of the original owners, who was Nathaniel Crenshaw, Miller, and also Charles Edwin Miller. So Miller? Was- yes, Miller.
3: Any light bulbs? Any wires
7: connect? (laughs) No, not at that point. Not at that point, it did did not.
3: not. Others had suspected a connection between the two sets of Millers.
5: Because I was telling Dexter back in 88...
3: Bill Thompson says he had mentioned the thought to Dexter
5: 30 years ago. What we had been taught in high school was that when they freed the slaves, they just took the last name of the person that was there, which was Miller. I just told Dexter, Dexter, it's a good chance that your ancestors came off of this farm.
12: He did. He said that.
3: So you knew that this was a plantation? I did. Well, Fred, you said you didn't know. I had no idea. Dexter, you didn't tell Fred.
12: I did not tell Fred. I did not tell anyone.
3: Dexter says he'd kept it to himself because he hadn't found any way to prove it. And that's where this becomes a detective story with the Miller cousins now on a mission to figure out whether it could be possible that their own ancestors might have been enslaved on the very property Fred now owned. The first step was figuring out who their last enslaved ancestors were, and Sarah Miller's death certificate held the answer. The names of her parents, David and Violet Miller, who would have been adults at the time of emancipation. Did you know anything about them? Not at all. Not at all. I didn't
8: know anything about them.
3: We didn't. Even Marion Keys, who knew Sarah Miller, had never heard their names. Nothing. Wow. Sure didn't. I just, I I want
11: everybody to know.
3: Enter Carice Luck Brimmer, a local historian and genealogist. Karen reached out to her to see if she could help. What are the special challenges looking for the ancestors of African-Americans?
11: African-Americans were not listed by name until the 1870 census. So before that, they were just a number. I mean, if they were enslaved, they
3: weren't listed?
11: At all. So really, you're just looking for any type of tips and clues that you can.
3: She started by looking at 1860 records for Sharswood's yes, then owner, N.C. for Nathaniel Crenshaw Miller.
11: There he is,
3: N.C. Miller right there. Okay. Yeah, he had 58 slaves here. But with only age and gender listed. You have enslaved people 69, 44, 34, and not a single name. No there names. was no way of knowing whether Violet and David were among them. So, Carice looked up David and Violet Miller in the 1870 census, the first one after the Civil War, where they finally appeared by name. It showed they were farmhands, that they couldn't read or write, and it listed their children, including, as Carice showed us, a very young Sarah Miller. There's Sarah. She's Mm -hmm. one year old. One years old. And this looks like Emily. Yes. She's three. And here's Samuel. Yeah. He's five. To Carice, that meant Samuel, Sarah's older brother, was born before emancipation. So Carice searched for him in another historical record called the Virginia Slave Birth Index, where slave owners had to list births on their property.
11: This document.
3: And this there, document. under NC Miller's name. NC. Right. And there's Samuel. Oh. Was Samuel. And
11: look at that. Oh my.
3: List Violet as his mother. It this was man. the genealogy equivalent of a smoking gun. Yes. So this is proof that Violet, Sarah's mother, mm-hmm. was enslaved by yes. N. C. Miller.
11: Yes. And this is absolute proof. This is absolute definite proof. And yes. you were able to tell Karen that her ancestors, David and Violet, were enslaved at Sharswood.
7: That was tough.
11: So did you
3: call Fred?
7: I did. I don't think he believed me <laughs> in <Logan. laughs> the <didn't> beginning.
3: <believe> <laughs> so the connection suddenly is made with your family. Slavery in this house. In this house, and you own it.
6: Once I realized that it was actually my blood that was here, it took on a whole new meaning for me. Mm -hmm. It really saddens me sometimes when I, you know, and I'm up a lot of times. I'm up wee hours of the night now, just thinking about what happened here.
3: As news spread through the family, there was sadness, but that's not all there was.
7: I almost felt like I was losing my breath for a moment. It was almost like a feeling of being found. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is where I started. And as black people, we don't always know where we started.
3: So here we are sitting in this house. Can't believe it. I can't believe it that
8: I'm in the plantation house <laughs> of the plantation that my family was enslaved. You're laughing as if this
3: cannot be cannot true. Be.
8: That's right, but it is.
3: I felt, I feel complete.
8: Wow. I'm not half of a human being anymore. They make me whole,
11: even if I don't know them. I felt a connection to them at Sharswood.
12: I touched the tree, I hugged the tree. And I said, oh, my God, you was here when my ancestor was here. I wonder which ancestor of mine touched the tree. I didn't know what to say or do. I just hugged the tree and felt like I'm home.
3: He shared the news with Bill Thompson, who had had that hunch all those years
5: ago. I look at it that I've been a servant to this farm and this house my whole life. And for the Miller family to come back home, to my home, our home. Our home, absolutely. It's great. It's a celebration of, of coming home. This is
8: God. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is where we're supposed to be. It's like a full circle,
3: like it was meant to
8: happen. Mm-hmm.
3: To me, it was, like it was meant to happen. The Millers also see the hand of their ancestors in all of this.
6: I think there had to be because mm-hmm. I did everything I did everything in my power to make the smell.
3: <laughs> did not make it happen. Yeah.
6: I tried to mess it up at every <laughs> angle. <I don't> <laughs>
3: but those ancestors had one more surprise in store. With all the revelations, there was one question that continued to gnaw at Dexter. Where were his enslaved ancestors buried? So last winter He asked Bill.
12: I said, Bill, there's one question that's been bothering me. Where is the slave cemetery? He said, Dexter, uh, it's right over there. I said, right over where? He said, you see those trees over there?
3: So did you just go right up there then? We went right up there. The trees Bill Thompson pointed to, just beyond Fred's property, sure didn't look like a cemetery. That is until you start to look closely. Is that one of the...
6: That's one one of them right there. Oh my gosh. As you can see, this is the um, indention right there. Um, The headstone there, maybe this is the footstone on the other end. Yeah. There's always seemed like to be there's one. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Poking up through the leaves all around us were pointed rocks, some small, some medium-sized. No names, no engraving, just plain anonymous markers of many, many lives. Wow, this is astonishing. It is. It's kind of overwhelming, isn't it? It
7: It is, is. it really is. is. I mean, we all live in the same area. We come past this place and we would not know that our ancestors were right there beside us the entire time.
3: Fred, if you hadn't bought that house? Right, you're right. If I hadn't bought that
6: house, we'd never know. Never?
3: Never. So how has all of this affected you?
6: It's, uh, it's changed me, it's definitely changed me. You um, ever angry? I get a little, little bit upset sometimes um, when I find out things that I should have known already. Um, angry at yourself? At myself and at the system, because I think that we should have known more.
3: What about the school system?
6: Should have known more. Family? I I should have known more,
3: mm-hmm. absolutely. You want the story of slavery
6: told? I want the story of slavery told. It's important. So this is converted from a door to a window? Yeah,
3: okay. yeah. So he, Fred wants to do whatever's necessary to preserve the slave house.
5: You know, this has been exposed for, you know, 200 years. Yeah, right.
3: He's in the process of setting up a nonprofit to make that possible.
6: That's, that's important to me, too, because I know a whole lot of emphasis on, it, on that big white house there. Oh, well, exactly. But this right here
3: is really near <laughs> well, and this dear is to me, right? yeah, this, this is the story. This is the story. Yeah,
6: absolutely. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's eight right here.
3: And he's been thinking about the cemetery, too.
6: I can imagine this being someone young.
7: We have to do something about this.
6: Yeah, have to. And I will. I'm going to fix it.
3: Do you think you might allow historians to come? And,
6: Absolutely. And Absolutely. This place will be open to anyone who wants to learn. Anyone. Anyone can come
3: here. -hmm. But for now, Sharswood is serving the purpose Fred bought it for in the first place, gathering the Miller family together in celebration.
7: Happy birthday to you!
11: Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday!
12: Happy
3: birthday to you! you. What do you think Violet and David would think they could see that you own this place. Yeah,
6: I'm I'm hoping they would be proud of us. And I think they would be. They endured a lot. I mean, I can't even imagine what they went through. Looking down on us now, they must be smiling at us.
3: Since our story first aired, Fred Miller took a new job in Virginia to be closer to his family. He has set up a nonprofit profit Foundation to maintain the Slave Quarters and Cemetery and has begun offering tours of the house.
1: Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe visit hyundaiusa.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details hyundai there's joy in every journey
10: Ah. the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center thanks to Carvana. it doesn't get any better than this your favorite seat's the best spot in the house make it even better by entering your license plate or vin and getting a real offer in minutes
6: There really is no place like home.
10: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place.
3: Tonight's stories invited us on a journey to revisit the past. As is true of so many history lessons, our looks at both Sharswood and Canada's residential schools resurrected painful and shameful eras. But other parts of those stories pointed ways to progress and healing. The late David McCullough, who chronicled so much of our history, wrote, History is who we are and why we are the way we are. We hope tonight's broadcast has helped illuminate some of each. I'm Leslie Stahl. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes.